Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we talk to an artist or creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with Julia Mortikova. Julia is the Chair of the Department of Music at the Mississippi University for Women. She is also the Founder and Director of the upcoming Annual and International Music by Women Festival. She also recently, recently received a Performing Arts Fellowship for Piano from the Mississippi Arts Commission. And I will say from experience that those are highly competitive grants uh, because they, they are merit-based, the highest of talent. So congratulations on that, Julia. That is quite, quite an achievement. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be here. And I'm so grateful for the fellowship and for the grant that the festival receives every year. So it's just really a joy to, to be on this program. We're so excited to have you and we love hearing about the art that's happening through the state and the people that are making it. So we're gonna start by talking about you. We wanna know about your background. Where, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Moscow, Russia. I'm uh, Russian um, and um, big city girl. And uh, I have always been in music since before I was born uh, because my mother is a composer and a pianist mm -hmm. and uh, the Russian American composer, Olga Harris, whose music you will hear as part of the segment later on. Um, so kind of music has been in my blood as we say. And so um, I grew up in Moscow and started my first lessons when I was three. Um, and eventually my family immigrated to the United States, to South Carolina, and I finished my high school musical studies at Interlochen Arts Academy in, in Michigan, which is a boarding school where I majored in piano performance. And that was really the point in my life that I was like, this is it. I'm going to choose uh, piano playing and, and music. And I, I love being around other artists of uh, various arts. And so this, this was a lifestyle for me. And uh, following that, I went and did my undergraduate degree at Vanderbilt University in piano performance, and I double majored in philosophy. And then after that, I went to New York University, NYU for my master's degree, also in piano performance. And then I got really cold in New York, so I did my doctorate in piano performance at the University of Miami. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the opposite of, of the cold as as here in Mississippi as well. So you definitely landed in the warmer climates. So for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about. I'm so interested in your time at Interlochen because that is such a you know wonderful that has such a great reputation. What was it like being a high school student living in that you know that environment? It was incredible. It was like being in a utopia because mm. it was you were surrounded by other artists, uh, music, visual arts, theater, uh, creative writers, dance. Um, and it also had very demanding academics. So we weren't just making art, we were also expected to perform really high level academic work. So honestly, um, 
in some ways, college actually felt easier for me, even though I went to Vanderbilt, which is a top 15 university, because, you know, so much was expected of us. And I just loved every second of it. I love being able to uh, have my own kind of schedule because it was like college, you schedule your classes. And so you could practice during the day and you could rehearse during the day and have your lessons. And, um, I loved just being with other like-minded, driven people, ambitious people. I guess you can say I'm very high energy and very passionate about my art. And that's how everyone else was there. And so it was just very inspiring. It was a very inspiring environment. It was very small. Um, it's only a couple hundred students um, at, the, at the time that I was there. I don't know how, how big it is now, but um, so we kind of all knew each other and um, it was just, it, it was very, very unique. I highly suggest to anyone who has, who knows, uh, uh, their children, they have a camp that's during the summer, but they also have this boarding school that's during the year and night. And if anyone you know is in the arts and they're interested, it's a really great way to find out if it's for you or not, because you know you either love it or you don't. And for me, that was it. I mean, I just, I wanted to live my life like that. <laughs> is it dope? You know, you were like, I got to dive in deep. This is it. This is that's it. amazing. <laughs> so who are some of your early influences that kind of, you know, added to that passion? Um, I think probably my teachers, I had a wonderful teacher in Russia, Irina Krivchenko. And then when I lived in South Carolina, I had a wonderful piano teacher, Fabio Perini. Um, he's at, at North Greenville University. And um, I think for me, it was just, and then of course my teachers interlock and going forth. But I think as a young person, it was just, I was very inspired by seeing them perform, by having, having them go on stage and just I just, I just love that. And actually one of my earliest memories was going to an opera with my mom and I was three years old. <laughs> it was a long opera in three acts. And she was really worried that I would get tired and she kept trying to take me home after every act. But I was like, no, 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 I wanna see it to the end. I wanna see it to the end, I wanna see it to the end. So I just, I, I just love this idea of someone going on stage and, and taking on a character, whether it's an actual character, whether it's a musical work and portraying it to the audience and communicating with them in that kind of a live way. I, for me, that was it. It was, that's what I wanted to do always. And you, you know, it's so cool that you've been able to live in such diverse places, you know, you've been in Moscow and New York and Miami and now Mississippi. Do you think that that in some way has added to your your style as a musician or your interest? Like how has how have the different places you've been influenced your art? Um, I think every place has has a unique perspective and has something that I can learn from. Um, I like to think of my journey even as a professor, not just what I teach, but what I learn from my students as well. And so I think having varying experiences and varying points of view about music and about art is, is very important for someone who's creative just so they, they, can, they can be challenged and they can explore. And that's one advice I would give to any young artist. Mm. Don't be afraid to explore because um, doing what everybody else does the same way that everybody else does it is not going to lead anyone to success. You need to find your own niche. You need to yeah. find something you're passionate about, your unique voice. So for me, of course, I became passionate about women composers and, and particularly when I was at the University of Miami, I discovered the music of Cécile Chaminade, who's a French romantic composer. And I, that was kind of my reckoning moment because my mother's a composer. So I never really thought about mm -hmm. why, why don't I play more? Why don't I know more women composers? 
But when I discovered Shamanad and I realized that she was really immensely popular during her lifetime and then history mm. just sort of erased her, I started thinking, well, how did this happen? And so I just kind of made it my mission to put her back on the concert stage and then many other composers who I now perform as well. And so I think that those kinds of experiences come from being in different places and, and being open to opportunities. So just taking classes about different music, about different composers, just being curious about things and, and always, always learning, never, never stop learning in life. I think that's, that's important too. And, and then you may discover something that you can be an advocate for. And for me, that's women composers. You know, so I love hearing you talk about, you know, education and advice for young artists. And clearly that's important to you because you are a professor. So how did you know that was the path you wanted to take? What led you to being an educator? That's a really great question because that's another thing I like to tell young people. If you don't have a point by point plan of what you're gonna do in life, that's okay. I don't think you have to have that because I really wanted to be on stage and play the piano and how I was gonna make money doing that. You know, I, I had no idea. I just wanted to do that. And so I'm going along my education, I did my undergrad. And when I came to NYU to did my master's, uh, part of the scholarship they, they gave some grad students was that ability to teach um, undergraduate, mostly non-majors. And so I got to teach a lot of um, piano lessons, a lot of group piano lessons. And I was really almost, I would say maybe even scared of it going in because I've never done something like that. But obviously it was a scholarship opportunity for somebody to say yes to that. And I just loved it. I, I, I loved my students. Um, they were so passionate about studying. They practiced so hard. And it just wasn't so inspiring to me that I thought this is what I want to do. You know, th this is it. This is the coolest career. <laughs> you get to share what you love with other people and watch them succeed at playing the piano. And um, there's just no greater joy. Uh, and so, and kind of this idea of, I, I talked about how it's important to have an artistic community, to be able to be the person kind of building that community. There is such an empowering feeling to that as well, because as a teacher, you have, you know, you have a piano studio, you get your students together, they play for each other, it's a community. And so, and of course, now I do that as a department chair, I have a whole uh, music department that's a community as well. But that feeling to me was sort of what, what just made the decision for me. You know, I, it sounds like, you know, talking about building the community and your passion for women composers, really, it, it makes so much sense to, to hear that and to know that you started a festival about music, you know, music by women, international festival. So let's jump into that. What is, what is the music by women festival? So the idea, this idea came to me because I was preparing. So what brought me to Mississippi is actually my first job was at Alcorn State University. And I was there for two years um, and I was teaching piano music history. I was also running a piano competition. And so I was really into organizing events. And when I was interviewing at the W, I thought, well, here is this first state supported institution for women in the country. Um, it is so proud of its heritage. There at the time were so few festivals dedicated to women composers it just seemed logical to pitch that idea and, and have that be the perfect space for it. And um, luckily, you know, the, it came to fruition. I got some support for it. But for me, it was, I'm a pianist. I'm performing music by women composers, but I'm one person. 
you know, and of course I have students and I assign them musical and composers, they're curious. So there's still a ripple effect, but it's a small scale. Whereas if I can create a space where other people can, can do this as well, and then take it to their own communities and then continue doing it, that's a whole ocean, you know, <laughs> that's not just a little ripple wave. And, and so that, that, that was how the idea came to fruition. And luckily the W was very supportive of it. Um, and so we had the first festival in 2017. So now we're in its sixth year. Um, and the idea is it's, it's a festival and an academic conference. So there's an open call for submissions and anyone can apply. It's free to apply from anywhere in the world. And then there's a peer review process and um, the proposals are for performances, for uh, musical compositions, for scores. Um, but there's also an academic conference side to it where we have so we have the concerts, there's 15 of them, five concerts a day, every day for three days. But between the concerts, we have lecture recitals and papers running, just like at any music academic conference. And a lecture recital is a, sort of a paper presentation with demonstration of a performance of a piece or, or a part of a piece. So that was the format and the first festival had huge response and we've had a huge response ever since because there's a lot of people who are passionate about this subject matter and who are advocates for women composers. And, and so we're now in, in our sixth year and um, it's looking like it might be our biggest festival ever this year. We're very excited. Um, if anyone is interested in, in checking out the previous festival, the 21 festival was actually virtual. And so it is still available if you go to www.nbw.edu slash music by women and you click on the previous festivals 2021, you will see all the, it's, it's, there are videos on our YouTube page. So you can see all the concerts. There, there was 31 concerts last year, one concert for each day of the month of March. So if you're just kind of exploring, you want to find out about who are these women composers, you know, where can I go? You can go there. We have... <laughs> online repository of music by women we created by the virtual happiness virtual festival but this year it is in person uh, completely and it is in poindexter hall which is our music building on the w campus and it's march 3rd through the 5th um, and um, as i said as part of that we have five concerts a day 10 a.m noon 2 30 5 and 8 p.m every day. They're all free and open to the public. So please join us if you are around. And then we have the uh, lecture recitals and papers running in between. Now you may be wondering who attends something like this, who are these presenters, who are these performers. They come from all around the world. They're academics, orchestra musicians, opera singers, um, really uh, amazing high caliber experts in their field. This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life's disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker, Arts-Based Community Development Director at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with the chair of the music department at the Mississippi University for Women, Julia Mortikova. And so we, we just took a break and we had some music by, by a very special composer to you and your life, Julia. Tell us about that composer. Tell us who she is and, and the significance of her, her and her music. Sure, so Olga Harris is my mom. <laughs> um, so she was actually the last student of the great uh, Soviet Armenian composer, Aram Kachaturian at the Moscow Conservatory. And um, she was, a, she still is a member of the Union of Composers in Russia. And she had a really big career um, in the Soviet Union and, and then Russia and still does. And she uh, fell in love with an American guy. And, um, and that's how we uh, immigrated to South Carolina. And that's, and so she kind of had a second career <laughs> in the United States. Uh, she is uh, a new romantic composer meaning her music is very passionate, very melodic, sometimes very tragic, sometimes very kind of, I would say, kind of a sense of humor, which you'll hear in the next piece. Um, she writes a lot of chamber music, um, orchestral works, uh, piano concerti, uh, vocal music. So really music for all instruments, very prolific composer. Um, and I grew up uh, listening to her music and, and going to concerts from before I was born. And so I've, I've kind of had music running uh, as a theme throughout my whole life, um, having her. And she's also a, a pianist and she was also my teacher at various points in my life. <laughs> I was wondering, did she teach you piano? She did. She taught me. Uh, uh, she was my first teacher. And then she taught me for a little bit of when we moved to South Carolina because it was difficult to find a teacher until it's on Fabio Perini, who was wonderful. But before then, um, it was kind of hard um, because it was kind of a rural community and there was not a lot of classical music going on. So um, I think at that point in my life, I almost gave up music because it was just really sort of discouraging. And so that's actually one of the things I'm really passionate about is really, I've talked about creating the community of artists, but just letting young people know that there is pathway to being a musician and making money with it. And there are other musicians out there. And if you are someone who's in an area where you don't have a lot of you know, classical music, you don't have a university in your town. Um, that's not always the case, you know, and so I think it's very important for, for young people to know that and to have the support that if this is their passion, if this is what they love to do, this is what they can't live without. And then that's how it was for me. Um, then there is a way to, to do that. And it's, I always say it's a beautiful life to be a musician. <laughs> it really is. Um, so yeah, I, I went through a period in South Carolina. It was hard because I didn't have a teacher. There was nobody around me who was uh, making music. And But luckily, then we found Fabio Perini, and then I went to Interlock. And then, of course, I was being thrown into this whole other community. And that really helped to, to, to keep me going. But I do think that it, it is unique when someone is a classical musician at a high level at a young age unless they live in a, in a city where there's a lot of classical music. And so I think encouraging other 
younger musicians to continue pursuing their passion and for them to know that it is a career possibility, it's not just a hobby. It is very, very important to me, uh, kind of advocating for music, serious music study. You know, and you've, you've touched on this a bit, but I just want to, that's so interesting to, to think about, especially in a state like Mississippi that does have a lot of rural areas, you know, if, let's say a, a really young artist is listening to this and, you know, they're, they are a classical musician and they might feel isolated, like, what are your, what's your advice to them? Like, your specific, like, where can they start in their, in their community right now? Who can they reach out to? How can they feel connected? Well, one advice I would give is there's a lot of really great summer programs. So actually, mm. before I went to Interlochen, Interlochen has a camp, but there I also went to this program called South Carolina Governor School for the Arts. Governor. And it was an amazing summer program. I think it was six weeks. And that's really what made me interested in it. And that's what made me apply to Interlochen for that following semester. And that's what made me go. And it's a really actually a funny story because I went to governor school and um, I was, they, they had, they started a residential program and I, they only were taking seniors and I was already going to be a senior. And so I, I couldn't apply. And then I got this brochure from Interlochen saying, well, we have this arts academy and we still have slots. So I called them and I applied and <laughs> I went, I actually started school in South Carolina and went there for two weeks before moving to Interlochen <laughs> because, oh, wow. you know, um, I, I knew it was for me, but I, I would really suggest that's my big advice search out a summer program, a summer camp. It doesn't have to be a few weeks. There are plenty of programs, um, even in, in Mississippi, for a day or two, you know, where you can go and explore what it's like to be a pianist or whatever uh, type of instrumentalist you are and, and see if you like it. And I think that's, and try it out. And that's really the way, because then you, you're going to be around other musicians, you're going to be inspired you're going to have that experience, which is really like being a musician, because it is, as I keep saying, a community in itself, which is unique. So, and there are camps all around the United States, different lamps, different levels. Um, some of them have a lot of scholarship money to offer, so they don't have to be very expensive. But th that, that would be what I would encourage someone to do if they're serious about their music, to try it out. Yeah, that's a great suggestion to spend your summers really focusing on that. Do you have any specific um, programs or camps in Mississippi that come to mind? In Mississippi, uh, there are some colleges that have uh, that have programs. Um, we are actually thinking of starting one here at the W. We haven't started yet because of COVID. <laughs> um, right. That is something that we are actively thinking about doing. But um, I would say, don't be afraid to go out of state. Uh, it really yeah. doesn't really matter where it is. I think it might actually be fun to go somewhere else as well, just to meet more people and to kind of see, see different parts of the country and kind of be on your own too. I think those camps also teach someone how to be independent mm. and not independent just in terms of living on your own, but in terms of your own practicing, how you schedule learning music, how you go about rehearsing, like musical independence. And I think that's very important for a young musician. You know, and speaking of, of opportunities at colleges, we have the festival coming up, the, the International Annual Music by Women Festival, which you are the founder 
and director of, which, you know, could be a great uh, short little experience for some, some young people who are interested in music. So let's, let's dive back into talking about this festival. Tell us when it's coming up again. So it is March 3rd through the 5th. March 3rd through the 5th. And where is it? It is on the campus of the Mississippi University for Women in our beautiful music building, Point Dexter Hall. If anybody was interested in attending this, where can they find more information about it? If you go to our website, www.muw.edu slash musicbywomen, you are going to see the full schedule of events. And so you will see what's on every single concert, what every single session is, and you'll be able to kind of see what appeals to you and what you'd like to check out. We hope you join us. We have five concerts today for the three days. So concert at 10, noon, 2.30, 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. So lots of music. (laughs) Lots of music. Who are some of the featured artists that are coming up in this year's festival? So I would say that the composers on the festival, so it's it's kind of a mixture of historic music as well as new works. Mm. So we have composers who send in their scores and we find them performers. So we have, um, I can tell you, we have 28 submissions of scores this year. Wow. And then we also have 77 performance submissions. So that means that those are uh, submissions that performers submitted of music that they want to play. And some of that is new music, but some some of it is historic music as well. So we have uh, composers that are more well-known. I would say Clara Schumann, maybe Cecil Chaminade. Um, uh, Pauline Bardot, Margaret Bonds, Florence Price, uh, you know, just kind of composers who you might read about in history books, although not always. <laughs> For example, Sir Chaminade is still not in there. I don't know why. Um, but also uh, contemporary composers, uh, composers that are well-known, but also composers that are less known. Um, and the festival is open to any composer of any nationality, Uh, and there is no age limitation. And so we have uh, retired composers, we have a lot of college faculty, and we also have some student composers, uh, graduate students as well as um, undergraduate students that are accepted into the festival. And as I said, it's a blind review process actually for the composer scores, they are selected by the performers. And, and so, but, but because it's blind review, they have no idea whose works they're picking. So a student has as much of an opportunity to be accepted as someone who's really well known. And I think this kind of spirit of inclusivity has always been very important to me because um, the, the festival doesn't have any stars, I guess that's what I like to say. Everybody is a star at the festival because I feel like this music has been excluded enough. So we don't have uh, keynote speakers. We don't have featured composers. Everybody's treated the same and everybody's celebrated in the same way. And uh, because I feel like it's important to give everybody the same opportunities, especially individuals who haven't had one for whatever reason. So sometimes you may have an older composer who for whatever reason just didn't have that opportunity or you may have a younger composer who's just coming up in her career. And what a great way to be welcomed into this professional community and and be treated as an equal and part of the professionals. So, um, and the performers, um, I mentioned before the sec- before the end of the previous segment, they are from all around the country and all around uh, the world as well. They are 
uh, a lot of college faculty, but there are orchestra musicians, there are opera singers. Um, so really, <laughs> I always say to my students, we probably couldn't afford these people if we were to pay them. <laughs> But here they are volunteering their time. So it's, it's kind of a unique, um, unique scenario. Um, some of our performers, we have a performer from Canada this year. We have a composer from Mexico. We have another composer from South Korea. Um, we have a composer from Russia, as well as all around the United States. So it's, it's, it's very kind of eclectic in terms of geography, in terms of the kinds of music you're going to hear. So speaking of the music, uh, the music can be anything from a vocal cycle to um, a work featuring multimedia. So you might have kind of <laughs> pictures going, you might have uh, some electronic music, uh, you may have a, a, a quartet, you might have a scene from an opera. Um, just there's something for everyone and every concert is is very diverse in terms of, so I try to mix up the instruments. So you might have Cornet piece, then you have a vocal piece, then you have a solo piano piece, then maybe you'll have some kind of an ensemble, maybe a trio, um, maybe you have a cello sonata. <laughs> so you see all these different instruments and the music is all different. So I, I try to program at least one historic work per concert and then there's gonna be of course a lot of new music. And I think there's something that's going to appeal to everyone. And that's another stereotype, I guess it's important to break, is that there's just not just one type of music. For some reason, a lot of times when I say, oh, it's a music focus, oh, so you're going to have a lot of songs. No. <laughs> I mean, we have songs, but we have a lot of everything, really. Um, so it's, it's kind of... Um, it's, it's very eclectic percussion music, solo tuba music, solo oh, wow. trumpet music, um, just really very, very, very eclectic, very fun, I would say, to, to watch and to listen to and really beautiful music. This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker, and our guest today is musician Julia Mortikova. She is the director of the Music by Women Festival. So Julia just chose a song for us to hear. Tell us again about what that song was and how it's significant in your life because of the people who were playing it. Yes, yeah, so this was uh, Triptych, Third Movement of that Sanazia by Olga Harris, and Olga Harris is my mom, and it's a two-piano piece. So the two pianists on it were myself and Valentin Bogdan, who's also my husband. <laughs> so I have a very musical family, and we often collaborate on projects, and actually this particular two-piano piece was written specifically for us uh, by um, Olga Harris. 
uh, and it was the Mississippi Music Teachers Association commissioned uh, piece for 2021, I believe. Maybe 2020. Wonderful. <laughs> but, but I just want to throw in again to talk about how you also are a recipient of a Mississippi Arts Commission Fellowship for Performing Arts, which is a highly competitive award. And, you know, that is because of your performance skills and, you you know, the panel fell in love with your playing as, you know, on the piano. And so as an artist, what does your discipline look like? Aside from being a teacher, what does your personal arts discipline look like? I think for me, my art is sort of my life. When I don't play the piano, I feel kind of dirty. I feel like there's something missing from my life. You know, mm. for me, I, I get up. The first thing I do is I play the piano when I have my coffee. <laughs> that's, I guess that's a part of my discipline. I'm a morning person. So maybe that's why. But it's just a part of my um, everyday routine. And it's something that I'm always thinking about. I'm always practicing my music in my head or listening to my music or looking at my scores or thinking about what I have going on. And um, I do have a lot of performances. I'm very fortunate enough to, to have a career that does take me around the world performing. Of course, not so much during the COVID pandemic, but prior to that, I had a pretty regular uh, international tour of, of performing in Russia, performing in Romania, performing in Italy, as well as all around the United States. And uh, this year, now that things are beginning to open back up, I am hopeful. I have some concerts planned in Russia um, and, you know, hopefully maybe Romania and Italy too. We'll see how that goes. For the next few weeks, I'm actually traveling on the road. Uh, there is the College Music Society Regional Conference at Delta State University, which I'm going to be uh, performing in. And I'm also hoping to organize it because I'm the president of that chapter of the Southern Region. And um, following that, I'm going to be performing at the College Music Society Southwest Regional Conference, which is at Azusa Pacific University in Southern California. So I get to go there. And uh, so um, in, in CMS at Delta State, I'm performing, I'm actually accompanying vocal songs by Florence Price. Um, in uh, Southern California, I'm performing the Ciso Chaminade solo piano sonata. And then I'm also performing a duo piano work by Valentin Bogdan who's my husband. He's the composer, but he's also my uh, duo partner in that regard. I'm pretty seriously committed to our duo as well. We are actually uh, the second prize winners of the Ellis Duo Piano Competition, which takes place in Jackson in 2017. So that was something else that I'm, it was kind of like a important part, I guess, of my career. <laughs> because it took a lot of uh, preparation and effort and uh, we were doing it as full-time faculty. Uh, Dr. Bogdan is also on faculty at, at the Mississippi University for Women Department of Music. So um, we were competing in this event, which required us to learn two hours of music from memory, which if you know anything about dual piano playing, usually you don't memorize that music, but oh, wow. for this competition. So we had to do that in I think four months. So that really pushed us to the limit, <laughs> but we wow. did we <laughs> one second place and um you know congratulations on that that's amazing <laughs> thank you and he's actually also uh, a recipient of the mississippi arts commission uh, performing arts fellowship for composition, for composition. Uh, a, a few years back i think in 2019 maybe mm. so um i think everything i do I, I like to set an example for my students I, I i always say i would never ask you to do something that i'm not doing myself and so whenever i have an opportunity to prove like can i do this i'm going to try for it just to show my students 
you talk about my routine. Yes, you can balance your schedule no matter how hectic it is to do this one musical thing that you want to do. If that's important to you, it is possible. I think there's all kinds of excuses we can make, but, and, and everybody gets busy. But if you really love music and if you can't live without it, then you can make that a priority. And no matter how busy you are, you can find time for your own creative work, which is difficult, you know, for administrators, especially, because I'm not just a professor, I'm also a department chair, but I think it's important, not just for me as a musician, but also as an example for everyone who I work with, who I teach, who I represent, that I'm doing it myself. So you really are, you know, eating, sleeping, breathing music, either playing it yourself or creating a platform for someone else to play it or teaching people about it, which is amazing. So I do want to talk about your students for a second. With the festival coming up, I want to, want to mention again this very important festival coming up the Music by Women Festival um, that Julia is the founder and director of. And at, it's at the W and you have students so involved in this festival that they are actually part of the selection process with the, with the compositions you're gonna feature. Tell us a little more about that. So the students actually, so they're not a part of the peer review process. That's, that's a separate committee of uh, professionals, but the students do have an opportunity to submit scores. And I'm very proud that one of my piano students who's a composer, Hannah Hitnetahari has been selected this year. And so her music will be programmed. And for the past uh, several, uh, several festivals, whenever we had a student who wanted to perform music by women who actually was a composer, they, they've been programmed. And so it's a really great opportunity for them because for example, um, Hannah was selected by someone uh, to her violin piece was selected and that violin piece was then featured on that professional violinist solo album and then she performed it on her recital so Hannah's music kind of spread around um, and and that's just wonderful for her I'm so happy to see that. Um, and the students really are involved in the festival directly because they help me to organize it and they help me to run it. So during the days of the festival, they're actually the session chairs, they're the registration desk workers, they're the ushers, they're the stage crew, they're kind of on the ground. And, and part of my mission is I want to make sure they have these other professional skills that are not music based, but are very related to running events, organizing concerts, just seeing what goes on behind the scenes. So if they ever had to do it themselves, they already know exactly how it's supposed to work and what to think about. And I think that's a very useful skill. I had those experiences when I was younger, which I'm so grateful for. And I think that's how I'm able to do these large scales of them now. And so I, it was really important for me to have my students involved. I also offer a class, um, Music by Women, where they pick a composer, research the composer, do a project, write a paper, perform her music as well. Um, so students are kind of really intimately involved in the festival. Of course, they attend the festival as well, but I could not run it without them. They are really my, uh, my team <laughs> on the ground. Uh, so I'm very, very fortunate to have wonderful students at the W who helped me with this project. Have you noticed through, through this work with the festival and with your classes, um, young women musicians and composers uh, really responding to, to this platform and how, that maybe how does that maybe inspire them to move forward in their own careers? I think it is so important to have role models. That is such an important 
part of, of just inspiring anyone to do anything. And one of the reasons that I, so the festival didn't start until 2017 and before 2017, I had the student who was a pianist and she said, oh, I'm interested in taking composition, but I don't know if I can do it because I don't know any women composers. Mm-hmm. And that was my point at which I was like, you know, Clara Schumann was saying this in the 19th century, I'm here performing music, this is terrible. We gotta get this festival here so that it's not just me kind of playing music so they can mm-hmm. see 200 people <laughs> and over a hundred works um, so that, and that, that was part of the, the, the idea of the virtual festival last year. I don't mm. want anyone to say, well, where are the women composers? Go to Music by Women Festival YouTube page and you will see 31 concerts of women composers throughout history and uh, such diverse uh, sampling of music. There's so much out there that we just, it's not that we didn't know about it. A lot of it we did know about it, but it was erased. It's a historical injustice that women get erased from history. And so I'm trying to write them back in. And these women had amazing lives, careers, supported their families, supported their husbands, 10 kids. And somehow we have forgotten about them. And it is just, it's not right. And so I am their advocate. I'm going to continue to be their advocate. And there's, as I said, over a hundred other people who are doing this work with me at the International Annual Music by Women Festival. So we hope you join us uh, because it is a good time and it it is inspiring. And once you listen to this music, you don't ever want to stop because Mm. it's just, it's beautiful. You know, I can only imagine that it was it was quite a turn and a change for you to have to pivot during COVID with your festival, um, which sounds like you really, you know, took advantage of what it could do in different ways, um, which I'm sure was no easy task, but now you have this great catalog of music. So what was that process of switching from, you know, a live festival to this virtual festival? What was it like for you? Um, I will be honest, it was a lot of work. So what we decided to do because of everybody's, you know, Wi-Fi issues and connection issues is, is it was all pre-recorded. But what we did is we released all the videos at the same time, 7.30 p.m. every night. And we all watched the videos together. So we had a live chat going during the videos. Ah. So it, was, it felt like there was an audience because people were congratulating each other. And then we also had Zoom sessions for festival participants uh, after several several days throughout the week so we could actually interact in, in, in person as well. But for, for the actual concerts, it was a concert every single night at 7.30 p.m. So in terms of logistically speaking, it was a lot of organization prior. So if you can imagine a concert was between 40 minutes to 60 minutes of music, and each person may perform 10 minutes of music, five minutes of music, 15 minutes of music. So we had to collect all these videos, put them together, make a full concert out of it. And it was a lot of work, but it it was really, really valuable because now, as you mentioned, there is this library of music by local composers available to anyone and they can find it and they don't have to wonder, you know, where are the women composers because they're right there on our, um, on our YouTube channel, Music by Women Festival, but also on our uh, uh, webpage, www.mew.musicbywomen. So I'm really grateful that we did it. worth all of it I'm sure and I believe you mentioned that you did you say you did a concert every day in March last year yes every day during the March of March so March 1st to 31st so if you go to our website it's 31 concerts and you can click on whichever one you want and you will see the full program of that concert and there'll be the video and you can you can watch it it's it's there wow that's incredible it was a cool project 
Well, now that you're in the, the sixth year that, of the festival, um, and I'm sure every moment is amazing and you don't like to pick favorites, but I have to ask, are there any special moments from the festival that really stick out to you from the past few years? Yes, I would say this passion for everyone to bring this music onto the stage and to have it be heard. And I would like to say that's why when we went virtual, we just did the concerts as opposed to sessions because we wanted for people to hear the music. Because my belief is, is once someone hears the music, they're going to fall in love with it. You don't need to justify it. You don't need to explain it. It speaks for itself. So, and, and I think a lot of people agree with me at the festival because we had several times where we had cancellation. We, we were about to have cancellation. So someone was not feeling well, someone got sick, someone couldn't make it. And individuals who were already at the festival stepped in. So the, the first year we had um, a singer who was sick and it was, she was supposed to sing a song cycle. So we had three singers, uh, one of my own faculty members, uh, Dr. Susan Hurley, as well as two former singers at the Metropolitan Opera who were here, uh, the Feminine Music Guild, who stepped in and learned a song cycle in 24 hour notice and performed oh, wow. it. And then uh, the, uh, in 2020, which was our, uh, we, we had it in person in 2020, it was right before the pandemic, um, we had someone who couldn't uh, play and it was a flutist. And I sent an email, I remember this, after the 8 p.m. concert at 10 o'clock, I sent an uh, email saying, flute emergency, need a flutist for the new oh, performance man. tomorrow. And by noon, we had a flutist performing with this uh, vocalist. So, um, and, and the, the beautiful thing, thing about this is that whenever someone has stepped in and, and performed the music, and whenever we have this music, people who hear it at the festival think, oh, wow, I want to play that. I want to sing that. So they ask the composer for the score and they learn it and they bring it the next year or they take it to their own community or whatever it is that they're even performing at the festival. They also perform at different conferences. They perform it for their faculty recitals. So this is the ripple effect that I'm talking about. It's not just something that we do once a year. It's like we come together, we get inspired and then we take it back and we just continue the work. And so we are really kind of a movement. And that's what I like to call it. It's not a festival, but a movement. <laughs> a movement. I love yeah. it. What a wonderful platform for women composers, women performers. And it's coming up March 3rd through 5th at the Mississippi University for Women. What was the um, what was the performance hall again where it's going to be? It's Point Extra Hall. But Point I like to the, the performers are all genders. It's not just women. The, the oh, composers okay. are all women. The performers are all genders because we're all very passionate about supporting women composers. So. Well, good luck with the festival. And thank you so much for being here today. I love hearing about your work. And it was just wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much to the Mississippi Arts Commission for sponsoring the Music by Women Festival. And also, you know, personal thank you for awarding me the Performing Arts Fellowship. It's been one of the greatest honors of my life. So thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for the show. I really enjoy it. And, and to you personally for having such wonderful programs. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.